what I don't want to do is is a glorify me and my past actions like those especially for the last 10 years um, like that's that was mostly an act of hubris like but it was heroic still doesn't I, take away anything what, from no, no 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 what is what is heroism heroism to my likening is is saving a person is saving another person yeah. in, in your expense yeah self but, but what is saving a person because we all die right so so the the least of saving a person is giving a person one more day that could be convincing a person to eat an apple instead of that McGriddle right yeah. like sure. like that could be that could be convincing a person to stop smoking uh, that could be convincing an alcoholic to go seek help those all heroic yeah. Those. Heroism is a result, not a quality of success. Yes. Thank you for tuning in to the 26th episode of the eltoro.com podcast. I am David Stadler here with my hosts, Chris McConnell and Jeremy Ficklin. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dustin Doom. Now, Dustin Doom served for six years with the 38th Explosive Ordnance Disposal Company. He then transitioned to civilian contracting as an intelligence analyst and subject matter expert of found unexploded ordnance and improvised explosive devices for intelligent software solutions. He then deployed as a civilian instructor with Raytheon Intelligence Information and Services to teach the Afghan Army EOD and counter IED before making the decision to change careers. Today, Dustin is a developer for El Toro, and that's a local technology development company that specializes in IP tracking-based advertising. And if you don't know that, you can stop listening to my podcast. Thank you. Now, this opportunity was afforded to Dustin after he started completing a lot of different coding courses around the city of Louisville. Um, one uh, to be mentioned, Code Louisville, uh, which is a software development training program of Kentuckiana Works. Now, he hopes to leverage his new skill set and career to one day create software that makes environments safer for his military brothers and sisters. So, Dustin, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here, and thank you. We've also got um, another alternate bio here. This is his other choices. Dr. Doom. Uh, he was a supervillain with the Fantastic Four. He's also battled Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, Doctor Strange, the Black Panther, the X-Men, the Avengers. Dr. Doom was ranked number four on Wizards' list of the top 100 greatest villains of all time, number three on IGNs. He was described by... Friggin' Stan Lee as a soul-stirring, super sensational new villain. Wow. You've led quite the storied career, and I'm going to be honest, you don't look old enough to have been a super villain in the 80s. Well, you should talk to my mother. Stacy, <laughs> what's good, man? And now we have Stacy Aloysius Griggs making an appearance on the podcast. Can you do the podcasting? Yes, we're recording right now. Okay. Um, so, we do have a little bit of libation with us today. We are drinking on, it's actually one, uh, a bourbon that was brought to us by a good friend of the family, uh, guy, a gentleman by the name of Mark Stegman. Um, he brought us a bottle of Town Branch Kentucky Single Malt Whiskey, and this is aged for seven years. <laughs> so, we're going to get a little tickle here. 
We're gonna pull some tasting notes together. We're gonna share a little bit of this liquor with one Stacy Griggs. You might remember Stacy as the CEO of ElToro.com and the fifth guest of the ElToro.com podcast. So now that he's got his drink, let Stacy go ahead and say hello. You're already in here, Stacy. You're on the camera. <laughs> you know this is this is happening. So just say hello. Hello. I didn't realize that I was actually interrupting the podcast. I thought this was one of their numerous practice sessions where they'll sit around and also drink but not accomplish anything. Oh, man. Surely you jest. Wow. I do jest. But uh, <laughs> I saw what they were drinking and decided that uh, even if sure I was... I wow. Wow. Uh, he is, is, he is literally here. breaking oh, every rule hair, of the podcast. Man. You can just leave. On you just the... leave. This is terrible. <laughs> Should I also cuss? Chris, should he well. cut? Might as well. Let's get in it, man. Fuck this. I'm out of here. So, Town Branch Malt, it is. It was actually exposed to me. This is this is a new drink for me. I've I've only been sipping on this for a handful of days now. Um, and this is a mash bill of 100% malted barley. And there are definitely some scotchy notes here. So this is a Kentucky single malt whiskey, ringing in at about 87 proof. Uh, like I said earlier, it is aged seven years. Um, it does carry a lot of scotchy notes, and the color tends to follow suit. You know, if you see like a, you know, you think of like Ezra Brooks seven year, and you think a lot of mm. seven year bourbons out there, they're coming out of these charred oak barrels. So they're going to carry a lot heavier color. And this, I mean, it looks like a scotch when you put it up in the light. I mean, it definitely carries a lot less, I guess, caramely color. Um, that's probably pretty technical whiskey tasting term there. Um, so when I, mm. when I nose this, um, gosh, I get like a little bit of dried fruity sweetness. I get a little bit of spice. But I think that the nose and the sweetness and the spice here complements each other in a real delightful fashion. And it kind of inspires that first sip. I mean, I notice, you know, maybe this is, you know, a, a, a just who I am. But like when I smell this, my mouth waters a little bit. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys have like the same experience with it. But I think it really inspires that first drink. So that when when you're drinking it you get that sweet hint first or i get that sweet hint first sorry i had to take time to have another sip listeners mm. um it is just just incredible so very clean i get that fruity sweetness and then it's rapidly followed by the spice if not completely overwhelmed by the spice thereafter um so that leads to a bit of dryness that spreads out around the outside of my mouth, and then it works its way all the way down to my belly, and it is a very nice warmth that I get to experience. And, you know, when I, when I had a little bit of this earlier, uh, earlier in the week, I dropped a little bit of water in it. I don't have any water with me right now. Um, I'm not a child. <laughs> so I, I don't really need it, but it will open it up really, really well, and you'll take a lot more notes of that of that fruitiness on the front side, especially in the nose and the palate. And I think it kind of offsets a bit of the spice that sometimes it can linger around in people's mouths. Um, so, you know, it's like when I'm drinking a lot of scotches, like I'll get that, I'll get that really dry feeling uh, in, the, in, the, in my mouth and it'll almost get textured to a sense. And I mean, Dustin, I know you drink a lot of scotch. So, I mean, do you, do you notice any of those same feels? I mean, you tell us what you think. You're a scotch guy. Um, I tried to I tried to appease, and you know next time you're on the show we'll have an actual scotch. But this was easy. 
Right. And so I like a scotch that's uh, so peaty that the second glass will give me a headache. Ooh. Um, mostly so I don't drink too much because I'm a super lightweight. Um, and this feels like it's 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 on the track to do that very thing, <laughs> which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, uh, it sometimes will keep me from saying something I shouldn't. Uh, well, here, somebody get him another glass. <laughs> so... Um, but I do hear what you're saying about the uh, the texture in the mouth. Uh, I don't know if that's an aspect of the peat or not, but uh, I guess it could be. Uh, uh, educated uh, about uh, the spirits as I am, uh, mostly all I know is about the scotch. Um, so branching out into uh, bourbon, bourbon country, bourbon, this Oh, let's talk about working here day one, right? <laughs> here we go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, uh, I got the walkthrough, and then, you know, they, they stood me in front of the, the display upstairs. And uh, they're like, yeah, you largest uh, bourbon collection. And, and I was like, in my mind, I was screaming, I'm a scotch guy. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever find out, there will be a lynching. So um, I better lie to these people. <laughs> I bet, and and I did right up until about a week ago. So so there's so there's that. You know my my biggest working secret. So oh man, yeah. well it was nice knowing you. I know um, I, I'm prepared for Mortal Kombat when I open the door. Yeah, well um, I mean you know as, as common practice, you shouldn't go into any office with more stuff than you can carry out in a box. So. True fact. Um, you might have to leave that Doctor Doom suit here. That's mm. that's fine. It's um, okay. It's in the back. All right. Fantastic. So, on this podcast, in a very roundabout way, we discuss a lot of facets of entrepreneurship through very differing lenses. And when I think of Dustin Doom, I see someone that embodies a sense of calculated risk. He understands the value of a solid process. He works well on a team. He embraces the prospect of failure, which I think is a very essential facet of a lot of entrepreneurs out there. And from his history and the fact that he still has those real limbs, mm. okay, uh, and the fact that he still has all his limbs, he likely has a good mechanism to manage the influence of stress on his person. So anybody else got anything to chime in about who Dustin Doom is, who you know Dustin to be? I mean, this is all I got here, folks, so uh, we're working on it. Speaking for himself would be best. <laughs> so I think <clears throat> I think a lot of uh, I guess me starts uh, with cultivating um, relationships based on safety um, uh, professionally um, and, and non-professionally I uh, with the exception of one job in my history I've never worked in a group or for a company that I didn't feel safe from day one. And the only reason I took that one job was because... Um, was that I, Taco Bell? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, it, it, it was a, a postal service, uh. um, and, I, and I loaded for them a lot. But if I didn't feel like I could expect to trust the organization's uh, purpose for the people that work there, I just didn't work there. And uh, it, it has brought me a good deal of success, I think. I think I've felt, uh, I've lived an enriched life uh, because of that. 
Of course. So you, you got you you said that you feel like you guide your decisions on where you're going to be by safety, but you defuse bombs. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, safety word. within the context of the company. Well, I see. Not safety within the in. aspect of calculated risk. Of the choice, yeah. The risk is necessary. The title of our species, mortal, um, its root is mort or death, like we will die. You must accept that. And the risk is not having, having done anything, not having lived. So a bomb disposal, it felt right. And the people I worked with, the organization I worked under, the 38th EOD, I felt like every action that I would take would be covered from top because they they trust their experts, you know. What do you trust an expert to do? Know when to break the rules. Mm -hmm. So they that trust... Ex, it's that abstraction layer. Right. Mm -hmm. So they trusted their experts. They trusted me. Um, and I, I trusted them to protect me. And my teammates, when I first got there, my team leader and, and then my... My, uh, my my P2s, my teammates, they, um, I extended them the, I guess the same trust I kind of expected from them, which was uh, my, between me and my first team leader, it was my job to make sure he survived so that he could protect the rest of the element that we were working with. So on two occasions, I... I forced him to do something safer so that it would ensure his, his further activity in the, uh, the mission. Um, the, the first one was uh, riding in the front truck versus the a middle truck. The front truck is always the one that gets blown up. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> Okie dokie. I never know when that will come in Andy. Yeah. So the, we got to that element, and they told us we had to split up among seats. And uh, he was going to take the front truck and, uh, and lead me to the to middle truck because it's safer. I'm like, no, 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 no. If that truck blows up, I don't know if I can walk down there and get you all out. So I'll take the front truck and uh, something happens, come save me. And then in the other one, we were uh, uh, running low on explosives. Uh, we had to... Uh, I hate it when that happens. It, it, well, it, it's a long story, but... It came that we, a person, had to detonate um, a 40-pound IED, which ended up being an 80-pound IED, about 40 feet away from it um, in, a, in a ditch that we found, which is, is very too close. So uh, we'd spent two days to get to that, and it, as it ended up, we were going to go another almost two weeks um, from, from getting from base to base. And... Uh, he was gonna. He was gonna make that shot. Uh, and I instead uh, convinced him that he needed to stay with the element, and I would make that shot. And uh, you know, he'd come get me if there's more than one piece of me afterwards. Oh, gosh. So so yeah, and I you know I kind of expected that from from my teammates uh, when I got to be a team leader, and you know we just protect each other. Of course. Well, let's back it up a little bit here. What, what led you down yeah. the EOD track in the mil? Hell, what led you to the military to begin with? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was... <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was going to be a pharmacist. Um, drug uh, dealer. W w drug counter. Mm. Thank you. Okay. It was a legal drug dealer. <laughs> so 
Um, <laughs> so my, and bombs. <laughs> my uncle and grandfather are both um, doctors of pharmacy from the University of Kentucky. And uh, out of high school, I had it in my, my mind and heart that I, too, was going to be a Dr. Doom of pharmacy from the University of uh, Kentucky. The, uh, the number three pharmacy school in the nation. I wanted to be Dr. D.R. Doom. Like. <laughs> Sick. Um, so, yeah, I went through the coursework for that, which is like um, uh, pre-med, which is, it, it's not a degree program. So I sit here right now without a degree. Don't need it. Yeah. yeah it makes things harder. Anyway. Hey, um, so They gave me one thing. <laughs> Yeah, they, they had to. Just tossed it at you. <laughs> They're like, well, we're going to give you one to get the hell out of here. What's his last name? Just give it to him. We got to stop this. <laughs> He's obviously important. <laughs> so, so 80 credits down um, in, in physics, chemistry, and biology and, uh, in one public speaking class. Uh, I take my, my PCAT, which is, uh, is the, the entrance exam for pharmacy school, like the MCAT, and uh, made an 80, which is respectable. Sounds like you passed, my man. Right. So after taking the test, you can apply for three schools for free as, as part of the fee for the test. So I applied to, to Sullivan, uh, UK, and Mercer, and I got into Sullivan and Mercer, and UK didn't even sit down to talk to me. So I decided I was going to take the absolute worst job I could imagine, which is the, the one, one organization I work for that um, I wouldn't have normally. And then um, I took a year off of school, uh, studied for the PCAT and uh, came back with a, a 90. Applied to the other uh, to three schools again. Got into to Sullivan and Mercer and and UK didn't even sit down to to talk to me. So to show them, join the army. <laughs> and you truly did show them. You did show them. I think they know it. In the end, they're watching you on Facebook. Yeah, jealous. Yeah. So you went to the recruiter, and it had been a while since I'd taken the ASVAB. You take them in the high school, so you had yeah. to retake it. Took the ASVAB. And Off it, the charts, obviously. It made a 93. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it, it, it constitutes uh, composite scores. Um, at the time, it changes between um, science technical and, and um, uh, general technical. General technical at the time was uh, a requirement of uh, 110, and I had made 123. So... You know, they're like, you can do literally any job in the military that we have slots for. And it was a lot. So the top two were um, Special Forces, 18 X-ray, and then um, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Technician, 89 Delta. What I wanted was military intelligence, uh, badly. But all the 35 series, which is what that was, all of that was uh, full to the top. Mm. So... Sitting in this um, in this office, the recruiters are always really excited about somebody who makes above like an 80 because they have so many options. Like they can tell them stories. Mm -hmm. So the top thing was special forces. And I wasn't out of shape, but I, I didn't expect that I yeah. was in the kind of shape right. necessary to, to push sure. through selection. Sure. So they're telling me all these special forces stories and all this. I was like, so, so what about EOD? And they're like, everyone gets real quiet. <laughs> and uh, I was like, is that a good sign? Well, I, we don't know much about EOD. Like, we, we know they make things blow up. And one guy pipes up. He's like, well, I, I actually saw um, EOD operate one time in Iraq. 
they uh, they drove their truck up to the, to this incident we called in, and um, the back door opened really quick, and a robot fell out the back, and a stick extended and pulled the door shut. <laughs> and then the the robot it it had fallen on its side. It corrected itself, rolled around the front, and then a block of C4 comes out the top of the truck. And the robot arm picks it up and drives down to where we think a thing was, sat the block of C4 down, the robot comes back, the thing detonates, the robot goes down, looks at, uh, looks around, comes back, the back door opens with that stick, and the stick extends down and grabs the robot and pulls it back in, the stick pulls the door shut, they drove away. I don't think they actually smelled real oxygen, like... Mm-hmm. They're ghosts. And yeah, that's, that's all they knew. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. Let's do that. That got you. <laughs> I like remote control cars. Yeah. I can I, do that. I, I can like do sticks. all the things you just said, <laughs> and I know I can do it. Yeah, well, I guess my, if I would have heard it like that, too, that doesn't sound awful. But I guess my perception of the EOD would be your um, the Hurt Locker type so, position you're in, you know, where you're going out there. That's my perception of it. Sure. So to be fair, mm-hmm. the Hurt Locker wouldn't at that point have come out for another four months. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, so I really. <laughs> oh, God. You think that would have? You think that would have influenced you? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, my my perception of the movie is colored by the lens by which I first saw it, which I was in EOD school. Um, I was exposed to instructors who um, generally considered it to be uh, bullshit. Sure. Yeah. And um, and then watching it for the first time uh like the very beginning of the movie is, is actually quite accurate um it's not it's not 100 percent, but like they can't they can't do it exactly and i, I appreciate that it. right yeah but uh but it was pretty accurate in the ending like the last i don't know minute and a half pretty accurate but the, oh, that big middle of it that got them that academy of war is just a big pile of bullshit <laughs> just just I, yeah no no that's not how <laughs> Uh, it, at least that's not how conventional military works. Yeah. Um, you mean like you don't take showers in your clothes or anything <laughs> like that when you're all stressed out and upset? Not because I want to. <laughs> like uh, there's there's a process for decontamination, like for chemical, biological, nuclear that like you you get you get ran down in your your uniform, but no one likes that. Like you don't. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, um, not by choice. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I, and I guess the heart of that movie gets at that certain people seem to get addicted to war and that thrill and rush. And I guess that's what a job like that seems to be where you would be most closely tied to that mentality, possibly. So I'd always, you know, I just, that's one of the first things I think if someone says they're defusing bombs, I'm like, man, I, you're, you must be a wild man, you know? So Live on the edge. You're a cowboy, dude. I mean, he's Dr. Doom. <laughs> he is, dude. He Doctor. fought Spider Man. So Dr. Doctor there, Doom. It, it can be put simply and and then extract it a little bit the the job description of a bomb tech reads to be two things uh to convince every person in the room that they're the most intelligent person there and at the same time convince them that you're the most expendable and i didn't know that until i got into it because <laughs> uh, that person's a moron surprise <laughs> wait what yeah <laughs> it's like... uh, Wait, you can commit surgery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, don't worry if I lose my arms. Um, I got teeth. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so yeah, there's that. But mm. t- taking a step back from that, it mm. it's it's betting my life a that I can give another person at least another day, and b I'm smarter than the person that put together this puzzle. Damn right you are. So you look at it like that. Like that appeals the, to me. It's a puzzle with the highest consequence possible if you don't solve it. That I don't have to deal with. Yeah, like you don't it, have to deal with. It, yeah, if, if I miss if I mess up, like it's not my problem anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with the posthumous success of having dealt with one more explosive. <laughs> <laughs> so do you see it almost like chess? In iterated play, yes. So the way that um, improvised explosive devices um, evolve um, is through build, render safe, and rebuild. When, when you're operating, you have to assume that you're always being watched because you're always being watched. And even if you're not, like they'll build five pressure plate IEDs. And if, if I just deal with all five of them, they'll change something about it, make it more difficult. But if they see how I dealt with it, they'll, they'll change it in such a way as to get me so that they don't have to modify the next five. So it's chess in that respect that I have to be strategic about the way I deal with this problem for fear that the next problem will be in order of magnitude more difficult. So it's like edge of the blade OPSEC. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, so you sign up kind of having a – you talk to two people that, that didn't really know much about the EOD. You finally talk to somebody? Did, did well, anyone sway your opinion further? Or just go straight into the program and be like, decided, all right, here I am. Let's do it. So I guess I, I, I probably should have led with the fact that my father was in the military. Ah, okay. So Sergeant Major Doom. <laughs> you guys are terrifying. You guys... This is a <laughs> legacy right Man, here. Man, you, you really should have been a professional wrestler is what I'm building up to. This whole thing is that you should have been a professional <laughs> there's, there's time for next May, career. Maybe a luchador. <laughs> right, a luchador. Uh, <laughs> So, at the time, it was First Sergeant Doom, and uh, he, he looks like what my name sounds like, which is a problem I didn't have until I got into the military. There's, there's an image invoked by, especially like an alliterative name, like Dusty Doom, like that person sounds much bigger than I am. But he sounds like what my father is, uh, which is is six three and and two hundred twenty and just just a long way around him. This is what drove you to put on the mask. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I sign up for all of this and uh, randomly out of the blue he calls me to to tell me about a, a recent acquisition. He just got a, a Corvette and uh, and kind of wanted to 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 gloat about it to somebody who you know would care and. Um, you know, asked me what I was doing. I was, I was filling out security paperwork because you have to have a, a, a top secret clearance to do uh, EOD. He's like, what are you filling out a security clearance for? I was like, well, I'm, I'm joining the Army. He goes, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was time. I'm, I'm joining the Army. So you could hear him, like, like misting up on the other side of the phone. Oh, uh, cool. And, uh, and then he goes, so, uh, so what... What MOS, I mean, what job did you pick? <laughs> Woo! So, <laughs> so, so before I get to that sit line... Sit down, Dad, sit down. <laughs> I, uh, he is a combat engineer, which is, um, is kind of like the opposite side of the coin 
of explosive users in the military. Combat engineers use a gross amount of explosives to do gross things. They, they blow down buildings, they blow down bridges, um, they clear obstacles. Whereas EOD techs use a, a nearly insignificant amount of explosives to make things not work right, uh, like, like truly professional breakers of things. But they also die a lot more. So, Word. <laughs> so that was, the, that was the, the frame by which he, he heard my next sentence, which was, I'm going to be a bomb tech. The next line he said, I can't, I shouldn't say. Uh, and then he hung up on me. I didn't hear from him for a week. And then he called, he called me back with a recruiter that he had talked to, attempting to get me to change my mind. And it's at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be bomb tech. Huh. So you're a spiteful bomb tech. A spiteful. Not spiteful. <laughs> not just... Just... <laughs> I'm teasing you. Setting, setting his decision. You made a decision. You stuck with it. Yeah. yeah and... Now, when you, you were talking to us um, when, we, when we first kind of discussed you coming onto the podcast here about, you know, failure kind of being an essential aspect of the learning process. And through your trials in your training process for explosive ordnance, you know, you were able to, I guess, experience a bit of failure to help mold your perception of the job and, you know, ultimately mold, you know, your perception of work and risk as a man or as a person. Sorry, we, I, I don't want to presume uh, that you identify as male. Um, but uh, tell us about this. Yeah, well... I don't really know what I identify as. Maybe a wizard? I like wizard. Yeah. Uh, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Good, it, says good sound your, it says in your bio that you're a wizard, yeah. Perhaps <laughs> perhaps a, alchemist, oh, but, yeah. but we can talk about that later. So they set us down at the beginning of, of EOD school, um, and they, they tell us a few um, statistics. Um, they tell us about the attrition rates of all of the, um, the services that go to it. Um, all four services go to the same naval school EOD, um, and the Army's attrition rate, uh, it bounces between 54 and 56 percent. So you have just at even chances of, of making it through the school. And uh, they say, if for some reason you are rolled out of your class, your starting class, your chances for making it to the end of the school drop by half of whatever it was. So yeah. so if it was 50 to start off with, it's 25 mm -hmm. after that, right? A half-life. And it only gets worse, right? Yeah. So I knew if I, if I wanted to stay the course, if I wanted to be a bomb tech proper, I had to, um, I had to stay in my class. Uh, class 09300. So in the second division of, uh, of uh, EOD school, which is tools, um, we learn about some of the tools that we would eventually have to master um, to do the job. And we start with the, the, the way earliest, um, which was tape and line. So originally they just put their hands on the fuse of the bomb and tried to unscrew it. And Seems logical. Yeah, those uh, those bastard Nazis came, uh, saw a few of them do it, and they put uh, anti-disturbance on them. So the, the the Holy Trinity of EOD on their thirty fourth mission 
they unscrewed that fuse and it killed all three of them. Ooh. So we evolved to a procedure called tape and line, um, which was developed after a bomb tech who had once been a plumber. I trust him. Well. <laughs> he, gives, he gets rid of shit. He brought a procedure <laughs> for uh, stand, uh, a method of uh, removing a, a spinning thing with standoff. Um, and it involved uh, wrapping the fuse in uh, monofilament tape, um, attaching it to the end of a pipe wrench that was also hooked around the fuse snugly, and then um, tying a, uh, a rope to the, the little hole at the end of that pipe wrench sure. and walking it about a quarter mile away. So, so far, technically, you just couldn't see the thing that you're working on. You just had to feel by... The, the, the rope, which you kind of tie, kind of don't around your waist. And um, as procedures go, it was simple, no doubt. Um, and they give you a safety brief about it. They go, you're going to run, and you have to because there's a lot of torque left on that fuse. And um, there's going to be a moment that that line pulls tight, and you know either the pipe wrench successfully broke the seal of the screw of the fuse or it didn't now if it didn't and you'll know just eat shit they said that in the in the brief just just eat shit um by by which they mean continue holding on to the bridle you build with the rope and um let your feet swing out from under you because you are running you have to and, uh, and just fall to the earth like a doofus, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, which isn't so <clears throat> bad. Um, you're in sunny Destin, Florida. You got, you got dirt all around, you know. Just, just the only problem with it is there's an audience, right? And there's <laughs> ego. People got ego. I look like a doofus in front of people all the time, dude. You're convincing me that I yeah, could have done this. Like, we don't mind. And don't you absolutely could have. We don't judge. This is a safe space, Chris. Keep going. But I especially at the time, could have been described as being possessed of hubris. And I ran, and that moment came, and I knew I didn't break the fuse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so instead of, of, of eating shit, um, I let go of the bridle. So as, the, uh, as this thing comes out from around me, the loops that you make with it to create enough friction to hold it to you one of those loops catches my, uh, my right pinky and, uh, and 90 degrees it um, at the um, second knuckle in such a way as to fracture down the length of the bone as opposed to the width of the bone. Gross. Uh, oh, yeah. It, you count the knuckle from the top of the pinky the, or from the base of the this hand? This is the second knuckle, this, right? This is one in the middle, right? So for, from <laughs> your, your carpal bones, which are the ones uh, just past your wrist, um, so it would be the first metacarpal knuckle. This guy right here? Yep. No, 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 no. So, so there's a zero. Uh -huh. we're, we're programmers here. Uh, a zero. Uh, zero. That's one. Uh, yeah. So. Gross. We're musicians, so we're loving this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Hand injuries to me, that's, that's the worst. Yeah. I, it happened, and I made a sound that is unmistakable. <laughs> yeah, the old snap my pinky that sound. It? That man, that I were you there? <laughs> <laughs> I 
And um, I'm running it in a virtual machine as you speak. So, so you know, I come back and the instructor goes, "So did you break it?" Hmm. I'm like, picked <laughs> up. And he looks at it and it, you know, it looks like a sausage. He's like, mm. "Oh yeah, you broke it." Mm. So I convinced him um, because with the knowledge that if I rolled out of my class because I've broken anything, um, that my chances for graduating were were 25 percent ish. I convinced them to let me stay in class and take the test the next day. Mm. And, and they made me sa- sign some paperwork saying that if I failed, like it, it wasn't due or it wasn't due to uh, my injury. It was due, due to me being a moron. Mm-hmm. Fair it, terms. Did you disagree <laughs> with that at the time? Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no. I mean, you let go of the bridle, man. What do you expect? Yeah. Yeah. Not the point, okay? Let's, let's not look yeah, to the man. past. Come on. <laughs> Always forward. Hey, so, hey, be quick, nice to our guests. Yeah. Quick question. I'm sorry. How, how old are you at this point? I'm 35. No, no, I'm, no, I'm not I'm, now. I'm so sorry. Oh, we would never ask how old you are First now. First off, you don't look 35. You look great, sir. Well, but you. how old were you at the at the time you were in the school? At 25. Yes, yeah, so you, you joined a little later. Okay. I was just clarifying in my own head. I didn't know if you were like an 18-year-old or 21-year-old. Please proceed. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, 25-year-old Dusty. Yeah. If we go younger, I have way worse failures, not the point. So, yeah, um, I take a uh, a glove because you always have to wear the proper protective equipment. And um, I cut the seams between the pinky finger and the ring finger um, on the right hand. And, mm-hmm. and I duct tape them together so that I could wear gloves the next day so that I fall within regulation. Mm-hmm. And um, and I took that test and, and passed it by technicality. And then they're like, now you must go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor um, on the uh, the Air Force Base, Eglin Air Force Base. So I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and uh, we're we're looking at my bone through an active X-ray machine, which which actively takes images of your the thing it's X-raying as you're holding it between this thing. And uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, no, that's bad." I'm like, what? "You don't want to hear a doctor say that, <laughs> right?" <laughs> that's never good. And I was like. So what does that that's bad mean? He's like, well, it looks like we're going to have to uh, put two pins in that bone so that it uh, heals correctly. And I was like, so I'm, I'm, I'm rerunning that calculation in my head, right? 25%. And I go, hey, Doc, um, so while we're on the topic of cutting on me, why don't you just take the finger off, sew me up, I'll be back in class on Monday. And uh, he looked at me for a second. He goes... I'm sorry, could you say that again? Because <laughs> you're the manliest dude I ever met. You just rip your shirt off like, ah! <laughs> and, even, and you didn't even repeat it. <laughs> yeah, could you uh, just just take the finger off and uh, and sew it up? I mean, that can't be more than like four stitches uh, to pinky, for, for Christ's sake. And, uh, and I'll be back in class on Monday. And uh, so he closes the door. He looks at me and he goes, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. Is psyche val on you now? <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So you know, I put my hand back on, uh, in the the active X-ray machine, which wasn't on anymore. I put it back in. And I was like, well, because I broke my finger. You can see it, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. Why are you in Destin, Florida? Mm. It's either for um, special forces or EOD. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, thank you first for uh, mistaking me for for uh, a special forces cat because <laughs> they look good. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But, but I'm here for, for EOD. He goes, well, you need a security clearance for that, don't you? It's like, yes. I'm like, well, in that case, if you really want me to cut your finger off, 
I'm going to have to have you psyche valved. Do you know what that does to your clearance? Mm. It was like, okay, could we compromise somewhere between uh, putting pins in my finger and cutting it off? <laughs> One day, the Wikipedia article on commitment will link to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, yeah, we could put it in a cast and we'll look at it in a month. And if it has, has healed appropriately, I won't put pins in it. I was like, okay, I can do a cast. So they tell me about the cast they're going to put me in. It's called a gauntlet. So <laughs> it puts your... Uh, Sounds promising. Yeah, <laughs> your ring finger and your pinky finger together at a 90-degree angle yeah. from your palm, and it casts all the way up that, to your elbow. Yep. Right here. Yep. I don't remember in, in the Dr. Doom... Gave Thanos the gauntlet. I don't remember. I didn't have that. This is good information, it, man. We need to change the wiki yeah, article. I'll send we're, we're not there yet. Okay. So I was like, this won't do. I have oh. to be able to bend my wrist. He's like, for what? For writing. I have to be able to write if I'm going to go back to class. He's like, okay, we'll make it shorter. So, so. I like this. I like <laughs> this kind of doctor, I like man. Yeah. Adapt. Yeah. Well, let's do it. So unless he's done it since no time previous had he or anyone on his staff ever made a gauntlet that was two inches long so they put this gauntlet on me and uh and i go back to class everybody in my class knows i broke my hand and real bad but we were changing divisions so all my instructors who i had talked to about this you know they're gone now i went to this new division which was um eight ops and recon they had no clue, right? So we're in there. We're sitting in front of computers now because we had never seen computers in the school, and uh, we're playing on them. And um, the the instructor comes in and starts their first class on ADOPS, which is the database for ordnance that Explosive Ordnance Disposal uses, and um, starts a class. About 40 minutes into the class, the instructor stops, like mid-sentence, looking directly at me. He goes, what's that? And everybody's like, yeah, turns. <laughs> what, what, what's what? You know, everyone's looking, you know, just just don't doesn't understand the question. You know what I'm talking about? What is that on his hand? I'm like, oh, I broke my finger in last division. And they let me stay in. I'm like, oh, no, I walk out and they had a debate about it. And they came back, made me sign another form saying if I failed any classes that it was because I'm a moron, not because of the injury. And they let me stay in class. Had nothing to do with the fact that I spent the weekend learning how to write left-handed as opposed to the right hand that was cast. Yeah, been there. Yeah, um, been there, man. So it sounds like you just got to be willing to say I'm stupid and they'll let you do whatever you want. It's like sign paper. <laughs> I'm willing to say I'm an idiot. And I don't know if he can say that publicly. He might not be able to confirm or deny that statement. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Right. So I'm saying that. I'm saying so I'm say stupid or prideful, but there's a lot of overlap in that uh, that diagram, isn't there? Of course. There? Yeah. Of course oh, yeah. Of course there is. But, yeah, so I made it through that division pretty well. Made it to the next division, which was ground division, where everyone starts failing out in proper. And, is, uh, is your hand healed at this point? No. Oh, that was two weeks later. And um, Close. Yeah, no. So I walk in there, do the same thing, right? We're in front of the computers. Instructor comes in. Forty minutes later, what the yeah, is that? It's his hand. And uh, you know, we do the same thing. It was it was impressive. They were my class was good to me. You know, they walk out, they come back in. There's a procedure that we learn in ground uh, that uses plaster of Paris, 
Um, and to use plaster paris, you have to use water. And because we're using water, I can't get it mixed up with my, my uh, cast. And yeah. so now I'm outside arguing with this instructor. His name is Mr. Nunley. And I hope he has died of a heart attack by now. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Roger that. I like Dr. Dr. to relate to this kind of <laughs> Dr. Dedictive Dr. Doom's goodness. coming for you. <laughs> because he says he can't do pop. He can't stay in the division. And I'm like, I got an IQ of 138. I got to hear from an injury three weeks ago. You don't think I can think my way around some water? Hmm. He goes, no. Oh. So I rolled out of class 300, and uh, two months later, I rolled into class 420. Um, if hey, you nice. believe hey, in the significance hey, of numbers. Hey, all right. Hey, 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 yeah, good exchange. All right. Well, I'll have a drink here. Drink here, here boys. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know what we're talking about here. <laughs> well, we're talking about Saturday, right? Talk, it's the weekend. We're talking about the weekend. It's going to be Saturday yeah. on 420. Yeah, I understand right. plausible deniability. Yeah, it's going to be a good, good, but, good one. The story of the gentleman um, who got through two divisions with a broken hand, um, it preceded me through the rest of the school. Um, and it kind of insulated me from a few um, technical mistakes I made in other tests. So Inadvertent legend building? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know about that. The making of a supervillain, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I hope it spoke to the lengths I was willing to go to ensure the job was done. Uh, how often are we using our pinky? You know, it, it, true, and, and you should see me type anyway. It's amazing I got hired here. Yeah, I'm a one. I get it. I'm a one finger guy. <laughs> what the hell is the matter with you people? <laughs> how are you guys under fifty years old and still pecking? <laughs> so, do you consider it a failure that you put yourself in that position by virtue of how you handle the situation? I mean, do you see it that way? I consider it a failure that I hadn't listened to the wisdom of those who came before me. Interesting. Hmm. Wow. Well, you got through, though. You got through the school. Sure. Yep. So now, how many tours did you do? Or... Uh, two for the military, one conventional, one unconventional, and then um, a few for um, uh, uh, contract, civilian contract. That would be uh, Raytheon? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. So... You know, you guys have to wear um, an interesting suit. The bomb suit. Uh, and, and you know, there's there's a lot. When, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned a lot around, you know, the bomb suit or the Simple Simon suit or, or whatever you guys call it. And, you know, a lot of process and teamwork that you have to lean on because of that suit. Tell me a little, tell our listeners a little bit about that, you know, because now you're in it. You're over in the desert, mm. yeah, and, mm. you know, now you got to wear this crazy-ass suit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to, to build a proper mental image, um, the bomb suit, the EOD 8 and 9, um, those are the only ones I've experienced with. Um, like, like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Is there an EOD 10 now? Yeah, probably. There is now. Probably way better than the EOD wait, 8 and 9. Just wait till the 11 drops. Wor <laughs> worth all the money the military pays on an American. I have no doubt. That one will have no headphone jack. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the average weight for them, uh, well, the average description of them, uh, the medium, uh, 71.5 pounds of pressed laminate and Kevlar designed to protect the wearer from 1.25 pounds of uh, RDX detonated at 5 feet. 
if you wear the bomb suit any longer than 30 minutes due to its protective properties of keeping all that extra blast overpressure out, it also keeps all of that heat and pressure in. So after 30 minutes, your internal core temperature goes from 98.8 to an average of 103 to 104. Jesus. Well, that's like hospitalization temperatures yeah. for a grown-up. <sighs> yes. Okay. And you wore it all the time? Not all the time. Out at the club? That's, that's, <laughs> hey, man, you put, you put that suit on, dude. You wear that all day. You start sweating. By the end of the night, they do think you're special forces, man. Oh, They're oh yeah, no, no. It, not only does it, yeah, not only does it seal in the flavor. So vascular. Uh, but, uh, but it burns a lot of calories, too. Mm -hmm. um, and water weight. But, uh, mm. so yeah, uh, you know, right around 100, 304 does some interesting things to your brain. And, you know, you lose between 20 and 30 IQ points. Temporarily. Temp mostly temporarily. Maybe. From, the, the, from the temperature. That statement is easy to misconstrue. So the, te the temperature's making you dumb is what's happening. Real dumb. That's why Real. it's called the Simple Simon suit. <laughs> <laughs> or you guys don't use the term Simple Simon. Uh, no. No, but it, I find the, the term we use inappropriate. We're so PC here. What, yeah, PC is We're one so, thing. We're so, so PC here. So, we, got, we could censor it with the word retargeting. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you could say, you say the blank suit, and I'll be like the retargeting suit. No. Oh, decelerande. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that acceleration sickness. Um so once upon a time, while I was going through all this EOD school stuff, I was dating a, uh, a special education uh, teacher. And I really didn't realize how much I was using those words as jokes. And she helped me figure that out. Dang. Yeah, think about that. And she stayed with you. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> this insensitive. <laughs> but I did learn some things from her. That, that have stayed with me. So she was visiting me one time at a Redstone Arsenal, which is where phase one of EOD school is. And in the front of the, uh, the school, there's, there's these two um, bombs, like real bombs that, uh, that have lugs hang from a, a plane and are dropped. So the, the problem with dropping an aerodynamically uh, built thing from a plane is that every once in a while they'll catch lift as well. And if they catch lift, they can fly, fly, float back up into the plane, right? Which could be a problem. So, but, so there's mechanisms by which we, we slow them down so that they, they fall proper. One of those is the, the snake eye um, fin assembly at the back. And the other, and this is a technical term, are, is the uh, retarded fin assembly on the back. So these two bombs that are six feet off the ground in, in kind of a, a V formation at the entrance of the school, they're two retarded bombs. <laughs> so for so, legal reasons, that's the technical term. It is you the technical term up. that the military uses for these fins on a bomb. Yes. It's also the term I use for my closest friends. <laughs> you have an issue, bring it up with Uncle Sam. <laughs> so so we're driving past the school and she you know, she she wants to give me the opportunity to show off, you know, like you do when you want somebody yeah. to feel good about what they're doing. She mm -hmm. goes, she points at them. She goes, what are they? Oh, no. 
Oh, Walked right man. into That's it. So hilarious. And and it's I, awful. And I go, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I don't, I don't, I can't quite remember. Hold on, let me go get the manual, yeah. and I'll let you read the manual so I don't have to say this. So she pushes, she's like, you've been here, you've been here two months, you don't know what those two things are at the entrance? I'm like, I don't want to say it out loud. <laughs> oh, buddy. She's like, how bad could it be? I'm like, they're retarded palms. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? They're, they're, they're honestly... <laughs> literally called retarded bombs because they slow it down. That's the reason. If I ever write a screenplay, <laughs> you know where I got that scene. This is in it. <laughs> and, uh, it. And she was pretty placated by, by that. So, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> wolf. Oh, man. That's so funny. How'd you get, your, how'd you get out of that one? I mean, that I was mean, it. She was just, yeah, she, she, she cool with it. yeah, like, oh, they're actually called that? Well, yeah, I guess yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, 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 she gets it. So, it's known that that the bomb suit makes the wearer dumb. It just does. Like, you lose 20 or 30 IQ points in it. Temporarily impaired. So, unlike the the majority of the military, a culture is cultivated that allows team member and team leader to functionally be equal. In matters of authority, the team leader has all the authority, but the team leader in the bomb suit has to trust the team member to guide him mm -hmm. because four hours into the bomb suit, like you kind of forget. It's simple Jack. Yeah, you kind of forget what you're doing. That's a, that's Completely wrong. <laughs> when you're doing that, how often or how what's the du average duration that you're in that suit in that environment? Uh, I would say between four and eight hours. God, I've good heard, lord. I've heard of god, longer. Dude. I've never experienced more than eight hours. <sighs> um, so so yeah, like the, the as the procedure goes, like you you get on scene, you 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 question people. Um, you learn how to question people. And then you, uh, you write a list of what you plan to do, and you give that list to your teammate. And it's their job to make sure that the operation goes pretty close to what that list looks like. One device, all-day event. I mean, it can be. It makes sense. So let's get, I mean, how many of these have you worked on, you know, how, throughout your career? So, bomb well, suit-wise, most of my time has been in practice. I've only put it on one time um, in country. Mm -hmm. The situation um, required it, I guess. So, when I was on my second deployment, it was unconventional deployment uh, supporting 3rd and 7th Group Special Forces. And we were in places where uh, it, it just wasn't feasible to get a bomb suit or a robot. So situations where I normally, conventionally, I would have wore the bomb suit, it just wasn't an option. Um, but one time I wore it, and yeah, it was a special hell. <laughs> huh. Now, uh, not, not to make it dark here, but bring it back to the very beginning. You join the school. They tell you a number, like a mortality rate in your job. I mean, how is it really? So there, I mean, there's some fuzzy numbers. Yeah. Um, 
so there's life expectancy on the battlefield, which sure. is is like nine seconds. Um, oh, sign me up. <laughs> right, like it's ridiculous because like I really thought about that. Yeah, in in like the last nineteen years or eighteen years of the wars, right? Like we haven't been in force on force. Yeah. Right. right. Like so that statistic, like it doesn't doesn't hold. Right. It's not. Um so uh every year in May we put names on a memorial to uh for every tech in any service that died operationally. And last year we had a real good year and zero names were added on it. Wow. Great. You know, that's like the only year that it's happened ever. That's great. That answers my question, though. That sounds like, well, it sounds like it's not as bad as, uh, once again, as my presumption is in that dangerous world, you know? In my head, I'm tying this a lot with, I had a conversation with a skydiving instructor, and he was just convinced that I had the, like, the personality and temperament to do that, and he was just trying to sell me on it. But I was surprised by how few deaths there were associated Mm -hmm. with it. I was, I'm always surprised by that. And I know that that does sound ignorant, but we presume people die all the time skydiving, you know, and you presume people die all the time diffusing bombs, you know. It's just something that I'd figure there yeah. would be a, you know, yeah, you're putting your life on the line every time, so it's going to happen. Yeah. But it's good to hear. It's great to hear, you know. And a lot of it's kind of like the numbers game. Like, there just aren't a lot of bomb techs. Um, so there's not. <laughs> that being said, so... When you get out of the military, do you work with, like, SWAT teams and bomb diffusers? Like, like people over here at FBI or anything? Do they call you? Like, yo, we got, we don't know if it's the blue or the red wire. We don't know what to do <coughs> oh, here. Forget that. I'm going to Hollywood we, as a consultant. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> it, so, um, after the military, um, and bomb techs go everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's three bomb techs that are congressmen now. Um, mm. I know two doctors, a few lawyers, um, a mess of computer programmers, um, and a whole bunch of stuff in between. Uh, my teammate on my last deployment, he became a pilot. Um, yeah. It's, Does it uh, give you a sense that you can handle anything? Yeah. No, because my sense is that I by myself, for the most part, can't handle anything by myself thus the need for a safety in the team itself yeah you need need a team Mm. um you need to train an environment where failure is accepted um you have to know everyone's limitations and be comfortable enough in the organization to put your limitations out there um so when i interviewed here um in my interview with rich uh, teach that out. guy. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, Somewhere in episode one through ten of the El Toro yeah, podcast. Really. <laughs> so, um, when he asked me to describe myself, one of the last things I said was, I'm not a good computer programmer. <laughs> and he's like, could you expand on that? I was like, yeah, I don't know how to code well. Hmm. Um so why he hired me is, you know, between you and your next interview with him. But uh, I, I don't want any organization that I deem fit not to know my limitations uh, because I could be critical at some point. Um, 
and you know any organization takes me on you know there's there's going to be a period there where you know they're they're teaching me the ropes because i don't know the ropes yeah. <laughs> um and a blunt honesty gets you there faster you know straight up a lot of people can't fess up to that yeah that that that's fantastic that it got well i mean you had to go through a lot to get to that, it sounds like. <laughs> Bro, you're going to cut your pinky off, man. <laughs> just, just take it. It's a I've curb. never been willing to cut an appendage <laughs> off. I'm going to be honest with it's, you. It's like a curb feeler. It's yeah, whatever. Oh, I almost did it myself just to be, you know, between us and this, this oh, fine <laughs> glass bourbon. Um, uh, for the record, that is not bourbon. I was corrected the other day by somebody who knows far more about it than me. That's oh. whiskey. Whiskey? Oh. Wow, yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't want somebody, because, you know, obviously, we've got tens of thousands of listeners. At least tens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, the actual number. A lot of them know, <laughs> you know, a lot about whiskey, because pretty much the who's who of the whiskey community sure. listens to this. Or at least. And I don't want somebody contacting us and correcting Dr. Doom, because you'd probably, you know, actually, blow up their house yeah, or something. I don't through. know. For sure. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, um, did you look back on it all fondly? <clears throat> I <laughs> how about generally fondly? Generally, yeah, you fond <laughs> all fondly. Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know what I mean? Was um, it a net your time, gain? <laughs> your time in the EOD. Oh, I I, I miss it. You I miss do. It. Um, I I count myself fortunate that I'm currently part of an organization that uh, made me miss it less. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, there's, hmm, not good words, I guess. It's, uh, it's a lot of going, it's a lot of different. Stateside, we had, uh, two main missions, which were to, uh, I guess three, train, um, explosive response, because... It, we're still responding to ordinance that was dropped in um, the Civil War. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is still killing people. Yeah. And, uh, and then um, uh, VIP support. We support um, uh, the Secret Service in um, clearing areas for the president, vice president, and uh, visiting dig- dignitaries. Um, and then, you know, deployed, we've got the, the response bit. Um, we've got uh, evidence collection. And then we've got um, special forces support. So, like, just the training alone. Um, uh, trained on conventional ordnance, trained um, you know, biological and chemical ordnance, trained on nuclear ordnance. Um, I did a impressive, prestigious amount of study and work on improvised explosive systems. Um, and then that's that's the work stuff. I also uh, we learned uh, evidence collection, uh, sanitary evidence collection, um, uh, search techniques, um, uh, homemade explosive synthesis. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're an expert on making bombs. The only yeah, the only best way. <laughs> To teach a person, uh, to ensure a mechanic can uh, work on an engine, is to show them how to take it apart and put it back together. Fair, that's very fair. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, we're we're all trained, um, starting at the schoolhouse, to put together 
um, from start to finish um, improvised explosive devices. So let's say, let's say this went back in time and the you two or three years prior to signing up and going down this reckless path, shall we say, what would you have told yourself assuming you went down the same path again, but were equipped with insight or wisdom or understanding you have now that you could throw back to yourself a decade or so ago? 22 year old Dusty. Or 18 or even 12? Oh, I mean, 18 to 22 year old Dusty was pretty much the same person, uh, an idiot. Um, and self-possessed of the, the knowledge that uh, he was physically and technically a badass, um, which is weird because he, at that point at 18, he had been surrounded by masters of their art, people who had trained three times as long as his life in their style and on the regular had been tied in knots, uh, projected from the earth properly in a properly executed kick, mm -hmm. a person, the, the receiving person, all four limbs point at the person that projected them from the earth. Almost so, sounds naughty. <laughs> so, so yeah, when I say projected from the earth, that's what I mean. All four of my limbs pointing at one of those masters. Um, or, or generally, um, thrown about like a rag doll. Um, yeah, 18 to 22 year old Dusty had been exposed to that and, and knew, knew that he was a badass when he wasn't. Um, what would I tell him? Yeah. So I spent probably 70% of the last 10 years, um, considered considering why I joined the military um, because it was an act of hubris. Like it was, uh, I, I had been slighted by the school I wanted to go to. Um, Resonating over here. And uh, I, I know I wouldn't change my choices. Um, I'm, I'm happy with everything I, I did do. Um, but what I would tell him is to look at why I was doing it. And I didn't, I didn't know why I was doing the things I was doing for a long time. Um, I was training in martial arts, uh, as a result of a, a, a terrible childhood event, um, I knew I wanted to protect people. And, you know, to an, a growing up 1980s child, like, how do you protect people? You become, you become a black belt. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're referring to. So, which is why when I got to black belt and I looked at myself real hard, you know, 14-year-old Dusty, I looked at myself and I knew black belt Dusty couldn't do what I needed to do. So I stayed in martial arts. Mm. And then I got to second degree black belt. And I looked at myself and I was like, I still can't, I still can't. So I stayed in martial arts. Um, and I can do a lot of things with that. Like I know I can fight any three untrained men and win. 
Um, I know if I ever I know if what happened when I was a child happened again, I could stop. But when I joined the military, it wasn't for that reason. It was a little bit for that reason. You know, it was a little service, service, but it wasn't, the why wasn't there. So I, I would tell 22-year-old Dusty to remember why you wake up in the morning. You would have done it the same way if you knew that at the time. Oh, every day. Oh, In fact, I'd probably done it faster. <laughs> what I don't want to do is, is a glorify me and my past actions. Like those, especially for the last 10 years, um, like that's, that was mostly an act of hubris. Like, but it was heroic still. It doesn't I, take away anything what, from no, it. No, 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 no. What is, what is heroism? Heroism, to my likening, is is saving a person, is saving another person yeah. in in your expense. Yeah, the self sacrifice. But, but what is saving a person? Because we all die, right? So, so the the least of saving a person is giving a person one more day. That could be convincing a person to eat an apple instead of that McGriddle, right? Yeah, like, sure. like that could be. That could be convincing a person to stop smoking. Uh, that could be convincing an alcoholic to go seek help. Those. All heroic, yeah. So those, heroism is a result, not a quality you possess. Yes. Yeah. So I say that to say working here. <laughs> um, Very strange. I'm not stressed here. In fact, I feel as safe here as I felt working um, in the military, um, on my team, which you wouldn't imagine, I guess, working as bomb disposal that I'd feel safe. In the abstract, though, I, I, no, think I know I what you mean. mean. I know what you mean. Um, but I, even here, especially here, um, I feel like I'm surrounded by people who are interested, um, and, I guess, want me to succeed, um, especially considering my interview. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like I'm surrounded by people who are accepting of my faults, especially having put them out there and are looking to, um, to see me better. And you're part of that. Mm -hmm. You're part of that culture. You're part of that cultivation. Uh, so you have a bit in extending my life. So saying like you're not a hero, like if we're talking about the definition, right? Which I love my science. Mm -hmm. um, I would argue every day that every person working here making me feel like that, they have a hand in being a hero. Amen, dude. Yeah. Amen. Well, that's, like I that's said, valid. Yeah. I still, man, though, I, could, I feel like I could speak for me and for anyone actually listening, though, but thank you for doing what you do. I'm excited to hear the next chapters of your life. Um, and we are story. happy Thanks to for, have yeah, you. Man, thank you for opening up and everything. I really appreciate it. It's been fascinating to learn and listen to. Thank you for having me here. And 
It's good whiskey. Yeah, yeah I look yeah. forward to it. I'll be contacting you here shortly about the bomb we're going to use to blow up the vault, and uh, we'll get the oceans. This is fiction. Going. He's working on it like a play. It's kind a play. Of thing. It's, it's a concept yeah. album. Like it's a concept, concept album. album. Yeah, this is this is not <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of the El Toro Podcast. Your host has been David Stadler with co-hosts Chris McConnell and Jeremy Ficklin. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to drop us a line and let us know your thoughts. We will see you next time.